Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We used to have uh, we used to have chickens. One of the nice things, uh, one of the nice aspects about caring for an animal is that you get to you get to know the animal, you know, better than a uh, purely academic apprehension, you know. Like for example, everyone knows that dogs wag their tails when they're happy, you know, but someone who who has a dog, who owns a dog, knows that that look that the dog gives you when he's afraid because it's thundering outside, you know, and you know what it is is causing it. They just, they give you this look, you know, you get a, you can tell, you get like a sixth sense. Um, or um, uh, one of our dogs will, will always look down at his water bowl and then look up at you and then look down and then look up, you know, and it's obvious that well, he just wants water, you know. Uh, they, they, you know where they like to be scratched, you know. Um, but you get that from owning them and, you know, spending time with them. So we had chickens and we got to, you know, see how they behave. So, for example, we had, uh, we didn't have a rooster. We had all hens. Well, if you don't have a rooster, one of the hens will become the rooster, they will take on that role that the rooster normally fulfills. And the rooster, you know, when they, they flutter up to a high point and, and crow, you know, that's why we didn't have a rooster. In York County, you're not allowed to have them because they do crow. But um, the reason they're doing that is because they're establishing an area that they will protect. And so anyway, so a, a hen will take on that role. And we had one uh, that was named Ann Chickie. And she was the boss, like there was no question. She was the boss, she was the biggest, the strongest. She was always in the midst. So like you'd see them all sort of out in the yard, pecking all the time, just pecking and catching grubs and stuff. And she would always be sort of in the center. So one of the things that they do is protect the flock. And there are predators. So, who do you think would win in a battle between a chicken and a hawk? Yeah, it's, it's not pretty. Um, but I guess it depends on your perspective as far as, as far as winning the battle. Is victory to the, uh, the one that wins the battle? Or is victory to the one that protects, you know? And Chicky protected and she did battle. She did battle with the hawk, and it, she was mortally wounded. But none of all of the others survived. And she had that victory because she fought the hawk, even to her own death. So this picture that Jesus gives of a hen, how he laments over Jerusalem, you know, and he paints this picture, which they would have understood. They had chickens. They, they would have understood that a hen puts its wings out and, and gathers all the chickens in to protect them. And even, in the, even if it means going to die. Perhaps this whole experience of Ann Chicky fighting with the hawk was traumatizing for the kids and for Kelly. <clears throat> and it was. It was a barbarous, barbarous scene. Um, 
but perhaps it should be that way. You know, because it helps us to see more clearly what Jesus was saying when he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. We see in our passage from Jeremiah this morning that when Jeremiah spoke God's word against the city of Jerusalem, the people and the priests and the false prophets laid hold of him, and they wanted to kill him. I mean, he said... Well, do with me what you will, but you're shedding innocent blood. And they did relent, and they didn't kill him then. They would later. And by the way, they did kill around this time another prophet. If you read on through the rest of that chapter of Jeremiah, you'll see that Uriah, a, a, another prophet who was speaking against the city, was killed. <clears throat> You know, but the thing is, they weren't rejecting Jeremiah and they weren't rejecting Uriah. They weren't rejecting that, these prophets. They were rejecting God. This is what draws Jesus to lament over Jerusalem. Jerusalem has this reputation for killing the prophets. And notice that Jesus doesn't uh, speak in the past tense. He's speaking in the present tense. The city that kills and stones Their murderous rage was not complete. And for this reason, Jesus is on a journey to Jerusalem, for it is to Jerusalem that he must go. It is in Jerusalem that he must make atonement for your sins. He can't do it elsewhere. It has to be in Jerusalem. So why did some of these Pharisees warn him to flee? I mean, he wasn't in Jerusalem. He was on his way there. And they came along and said, you got to get out of here. Get away from here, they said, for Herod wants to kill you. Actually, Herod wanted to meet Jesus. Herod had heard of the miracles and he wanted to meet Jesus. But we don't have any sign really that Herod wanted to kill him at this point in time. So why were they telling him to flee? Were they trying to get him to go to Jerusalem? Maybe. You need to get out of here. Herod's after you. Go on into Jerusalem. Maybe they just didn't want him around teaching what he was teaching where they were. They didn't want him to spread his teaching in their part of the country. Indeed, his teaching is not something that the religious establishment wanted to hear. After all, they had built a system that relied on works to attain salvation. And of course, it was also a system that only they seemed to be able to really master. Everywhere Jesus went, he was exposing their lies. Jesus had said, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I don't want to preach on that text right now because that's a different, different text. But we hear that and we think, 
oof, I'm in trouble because my righteousness certainly doesn't exceed the Pharisees. I mean, they followed all the law. Well, sort of. That's the point, though. Jesus is saying your, your righteousness has to be even greater than that of the Pharisees. You know, which, by the way, your righteousness is. And why? Because you have Christ's righteousness. That's the whole point. That's what he was trying to say. That's what he was saying. But all they could hear is, you mean, even though I think I've mastered this system of works-based salvation, you're telling me that my righteousness is still not enough? Yeah, they didn't like hearing this message. And they said, get out of here. Go on from here. And now, if you want to understand their frustration, consider that his teaching was messing with their way of life. And we can relate to that. They had a way of life. They were happy with it. They didn't want it changed. I mean, we really ought to understand this. If we're honest with ourselves, we would admit that we also don't want Jesus' teaching to change the way we live our lives. I mean, sometimes we essentially ask Jesus to leave. That sounds harsh, but be honest with yourselves. Get out of here, Jesus. We don't need you when we're at work. We don't need you at home. We don't need you when we're at our neighborhood party or at the football game. We don't need you when we're in school. We don't need you when we're trying to live our life the way we want to live it. And we resent the way that you disrupt our life. I mean, you make me feel like I'm doing something wrong sometimes, Jesus. I don't like that. Perhaps it's more like this. Okay, Jesus, you can come along with me. All right? You can come along. But you can't go on and on about sin. We're only going to talk about love. And we're going to talk about it in an abstract way. Not the concrete love of you dying on the cross. Not the concrete love that you have for me of your blood making atonement for my sins. No, no, no. We're not going to talk about that. We're just going to talk about you as, yeah, we're Christians and thoughts and prayers sort of thing, you know. problem is that's not uh, that's not the real Jesus Jesus had a lot to say but a lot of the things that he had to say we just kind of don't really want to take around with us everywhere we go take a moment and think about this do you trust Jesus's teaching do you have the audacity to believe the things that he teaches. Like we talked a couple weeks ago about turning the other cheek. Do you have the audacity to actually believe that? I know, I know everyone here. I know you all. And I know that you do trust in Jesus. And I also know that you don't trust him as much as you ought. And if it sounds like I'm being harsh, I got the same issue, all right? We're all in this together. We all have this issue. 
And it's hard. I mean, it is hard because the world around us is constantly pounding on us, pressing Satan's agenda. And it's doing it with this age-old trick, which is so subtle, which is, did God really say that? Did God really say that? I don't know. Maybe you're going to come off as a really judgmental person. You shouldn't really talk about that. It's not polite. You know? Well, I don't know what the right answer is. Actually, thought bubble. I know exactly what the right answer is, but that answer is inconvenient. So I'm not going to go with that. I'm going to go with the other answer that's a little more convenient for me. But I'll pray about it, and I'll pray that God will make everything all right. Hmm. Well, we struggle with this issue. But be emboldened, okay? When it comes to God's word, be emboldened. Because the answer is, yes, God really did say that. Absolutely. And he said a lot of things too. So we don't have to go around setting up a milk box crate and telling everyone that they're going to hell. Gee, that's not a really winsome way of telling people about the love of Christ. But at the same time, we don't need to ignore all sin and pretend like, oh, this is perfectly fine. Just keep being a good person and Jesus loves you. Well, that's not doing it either. So we take the full counsel of God. We take it all and be emboldened. We have this. It's, it, yes, he really did say that. And we have the word which cannot err. We have these glorious promises of Christ, our Savior. And he doesn't desire our condemnation. That should be the most comforting thing of all. He does not desire our condemnation. He desires that we would turn to him in all distress, that we would place our trust in him just as this picture of these little chicks that gather under the shadow of the wings of the hen who protects them. Recall Psalm 51, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. That's what God desires, is the broken and contrite heart that says, God, I can't do it all on my own. I desire to, but the thing I desire to do, I don't do. You know, we have this issue. But that's what God desires, is the the humble heart that says, "I'm I'm not righteous before you apart from Christ. Psalm 17, keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. This whole image of being protected in the wings of the hen is something that would have resonated with Jesus' audience here as he's speaking to them because it's throughout the Old Testament. You find references in multiple places, this concept of being protected by the wings of of God the Father. God's earnest desire is that we would come to Christ and be saved. So Jesus was heading to Jerusalem, and he was heading to his bitter suffering and death. And he was doing it for you. In spite of your rebelliousness, And hear the good news. Jesus willingly marched onward toward Jerusalem 
He knew what he was doing. He didn't need to read the morning paper to see how events would unfold that day or what had transpired. He knew exactly what he was doing. That's why he said, Jerusalem, the city that kills and stones the prophets. He knew exactly what he was doing and he was doing it for you, for your sins. Yet he went onward because he loves you. Because of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you and I are all set free. In baptism, your sins have been washed away. In this meal, you receive forgiveness and strength for living. God has appointed these means of grace that you might come under the shadow of his wings. So come and receive. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.